Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also make you feel totally in control? Enter Conair Girlbomb. They're like your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results. Made just for us. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip to the professional-grade blades, say goodbye to settling for less. With Conair Girlbomb, you get the precision and power that used to only be exclusive to men's tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girlbomb. Available at Walgreens. All right, welcome to 205 with Rodney Clawson. Which I guess we've we haven't spent any real time together. We've met for the first time about six times, <laughs> and people are always like, "This is Rodney." I'm like, "Yeah, we met like six times, <laughs> a, a lot through your wife, um, because yeah. your wife and I have, have become friends." Oh yeah. But uh, I would see I, I'd see you out, and I'd be like, "Hey, Rodney," and I'd be like, "Have you guys met?" We're like, "We've only met, but we've met many, many times." So it's good to have you. We were yeah. going over some of your uh, some of your stuff. We have a wall on the screen, Rodney, that that has, we put everybody's songs on. We couldn't fit all your songs. <laughs> you have so many number one songs. Well, I mean, I I know there's people out there that have a lot more than me, but um, I don't know. On this, there isn't a right response, right? <laughs> I, like, I just kind of let it hang and then see what you. they say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what my that's what my therapist has me do. She goes, "Just say thank you." Yeah. I'm kind I'm shocked when I see it too. So I'm like, "How in the hell did that happen?" You know. So and by and because each song, the worth of it, we have uh, estimated you're worth a billion dollars with all. <laughs> Are you saying over or under a billion? <laughs> I would say well, okay. well under. Well, so. well over. Got it. That means Ashley Gorley's worth two billion. So. Well, you are in the, <laughs> uh, and I'll get off this, but you are in the elite <laughs> three. We all we have a, something we call the elite three artists that have the most number ones that have been on the podcast, and you are part of that. And if oh, there wow. was there, if there was a room, we'd all clap and probably give you a standing ovation. <laughs> and there's not a trophy, but we'll mail one to you. Okay. It may never come to you, but trust us, we, we so may. So what, what is the trophy? Uh, we don't know yet. We haven't actually invented it. We just say it, and then we never send it out, actually. Just something to hold your billion <laughs> yeah. dollars. You know what? I'll tell you what. It's a belt. It's a, it's a championship a belt. belt. Okay. Yeah, you'll be I, receiving it in the mail. Just, yeah. just watch for That's it. cool. Um, <laughs> so what's interesting about your story is you actually were writing songs and they were having a bit of success before you even moved to Nashville. Right, yeah. So you were in, in, in Texas, kind of up in the panhandle? Yeah, I, uh, I got out of college and farmed with my dad for 15 years and uh, had some connections here in Nashville and started, uh, started writing songs and had three or, four, uh, three or four hits before I moved out here in 2005. So I got a, I had a, got a publishing deal in 2000 and went back and forth for five or six years, and then my dad retired, and I moved out here full-time. So you got a publishing so, deal without living here. 
Right. Which, which at least, I don't know about then, but now that's pretty rare. Because part of the publishing deal when people sign you is they want to set you up on rights all the time. Mm-hmm. And if they're setting you up on a publishing deal, I guess was part of that that they wanted you to write not only in town, but to pay you to keep writing at home too? Yeah, I mean, I, I would come to town one week a month and I would have, you know, half-written stuff. I would write a few things by myself. And, uh, you know, I'd have, hey, here, here's a verse and a chorus, you know. Do you like it or not? And I wrote a few few hits like that, you know, so. You were farming, you said, 15 years? Yeah. So you finished school. What kind of farm? Uh, corn, wheat, soybeans, the big center pivot sprinklers, you know, in the Texas panhandle where it rains like 15 inches a year, so it's almost desert. So you're <laughs> so. living the country song. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, out of school, you lived the adult country song. Right, yeah. And what did your dad? I, would, I was the guy driving the tractor listening to the country songs that, now we're trying, I try to like plug in like, well, the guy on the tractor understand <laughs> this, which the guy on the tractor is not maybe the core audience anymore, but, but back when I started, it was, I think. So. As you were writing songs while living on the farm and you were working, uh, what'd, your, what'd your dad think about maybe the ambition that you had to be a songwriter? My, what's funny is my family, my mom and dad aren't musical at all, so... They were supportive, but I, I don't know if they even understood what I was trying to do. Which I mean, I after I had had a publishing deal and had several hit songs, I would come back home. I would come to Nashville and write, and come back home, and my, they would say like, "Did you sell any songs this week?" They didn't. <laughs> I mean, I explained the business to them so many times, and yeah. they, I don't to this day. I don't know if they still understand what I do. They they do know that my songs get played on the radio though. So. And you grew up, like, what <clears throat> What town would you be closest to? I, I grew up five miles west of Groover, Texas. Okay, you got to help me with Groover. G-R-U-V-E-R. It's 90 miles north of Amarillo. Now that I, I know. I tell people to get on, get on I-40 and go 14 hours west, and you'll hit Amarillo, and then go 90 miles north. So. <laughs> I know Amarillo pretty well. We just played a show in Amarillo. Okay. The thing about Amarillo, too, is that's the part of Texas that gets snow. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's about the only part of Texas that really gets snow. Yeah, we, we've had some big snows. So you guys got seasons in Texas. Oh, yeah. So you finish school. You're, you're, you're working on the farm. You're writing songs. Um, are you, like, I'm just trying to understand what that was like. Are you carrying a guitar as through the day? <laughs> like if there's some downtime? No, I, would, I would maybe on the tractor, I would get an idea in my head. And, I mean, it's it's so different than what I do now because it's like we'll go, you know, you go in, you meet a couple buddies, somebody has an idea, you try to write the song in like one day. Well, I had like weeks to work on an idea, like driving the tractor, you know. But I, I would mainly, you know, put stuff down with a guitar, like go home at night and, you know, 10 o'clock at night, go in with a guitar and try to write like that too for a couple hours. Where did that so. guitar, just the music, come from if your parents weren't? musical or that that influence wasn't there every day um well i mean i was in I, I i played piano growing up and i was in band and choir and i learned how to play guitar um probably i think i bought a guitar when i was maybe 20 years old also oh, a little later to, oh yeah i mean i didn't try to write my first song till i was think like 28 maybe it wasn't like four like most people mm-hmm. like i was four and i wrote my first song <laughs> yeah 
Well, my I had this. It's kind of a weird story that I I uh, I don't like to share it with people because it just sounds weird. But I had a friend of mine who left Groover, Texas, and came out here to Nashville and went to Belmont and got in the publishing world out here. And she randomly called me. Hadn't talked to her in two or three years. Randomly called me one night and said, "Hey, you're a songwriter, and you don't know it." <laughs> and I was like, "What are you talking about?" And she's, uh, she said, "I'm I'm hanging out with songwriters all the time here in Nashville, and they all remind me of you." So you need to try to write a song and send it to me. Oh, so she was seeing you and <laughs> other people. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and so I mean, it might it probably took me a year to write her a song and send it to her, and it was horrible but she like picked out a couple of lines and said that this right here this is like this is great this is what you need to do and did that for a couple of years and then I knew um I knew John Rich from Lone Star I was his uh I was his junior high basketball coach when I was going to college really and so I knew John and he he was 12 and I was 20 so I would go to class all day and then I would go coach at this uh I went to West Texas a and I'd go to class. Then I would go coach at this Christian school in Amarillo, San Jacinto Christian Academy. And he was his dad is a Pentecostal preacher, so obviously his kid went to a private Christian school. So um, I, I knew John. I coached John for three years. His parents got a divorce. He ended up moving back here to Tennessee. And he would call me like once a year. He'd be like, hey, coach, I'm working at I'm, I'm Roy Acuff at Opryland, you know, Opryland Theme Park. And then, hey, coach, I'm in a band uh, called Texas Sea, which turned into Lone Star, you know. And then, hey, and then the first time I ever came to Nashville, he said, hey, coach, we're going in to cut our second record. You should come hang out in the studio. So I flew out here, and he picked me up at the airport, and I went to, I think it was called the Sound Shop. It was over there by the, uh, by the roundabout. little studio there and walked in and Don Cook and Wally Wilson were producing the second Lone Star record. No, it was actually, it was the first Lone Star record. So I walked in a studio and I heard um, they recorded No News, Come Crying to Me, like two or three hit songs. And I'm, this is the first time in Nashville, an hour after I get off the plane, I'm in a studio watching Brent Mason and all these session guys cutting these songs that were going to become hit songs in the next year. It was like, I don't know, baptism by fire. I don't know what you would call that, but it was like, holy crap, you know, this is cool. You know, maybe I can do this. So let me, let me back it up a second. That's such a good story, but let's go into John Rich as a ball player. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, you as a ball player, let's, let's just start there. If you're coaching, Uh, were you an athlete as a kid? Yeah, I uh, I, I played. Um, I mean, I went. You know, small town, fifteen hundred people. I played basketball, football, ran track, played a year of college football. Quickly figured out that if I was ever going to get through school, I just needed to go to school. And um, so, yeah, I mean, but you know, small town, you do everything. I also did band and choir too. So, um, but John was. Um, pretty good basketball player but he was five seven or five eight like in seventh grade 
and he's still five seven or five eight. He uh, that's, funny, that's when he maxed out. He was but he was pretty good. <laughs> but he as was a like, five seven seventh grader, was he playing like underneath? Was he was yeah. he just a good guard? He was like, like a, guard. He was like a forward. Was he? Yeah. And then he his position slowly forward yeah. into a, a shooting well, guard. Into I mean, a point he, guard. he moved. I think in ninth eighth or ninth grade, he moved back here. So that was the that was it for. My coaching him, so and you guys stayed in contact, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. So you must have had some sort of impact on him in some way, even as a call. I mean, yeah. there I, I'm still close-ish with my high school football coach, who had a big impact on me. Mm-hmm. And so you know, and I about once a year I reach out and go, yeah. "Hey, I'm in Lone Star." I tell him the same thing. <laughs> I just say, "Hey, I'm in Lone Star." He never believes it, but so yeah. you come and you, you hop to the studio and you see this. Now, are you thinking at that time when you see Lone Star cutting a record that they're going to be something, or are you like? Wow, look at this guy that I know, like, uh, trying to make something. I don't know what's happening here. Um, I. Or are you so overwhelmed by you know, it all? I you can't just don't remember. know. I mean, it might have been their second record. They may have already had a hit. I can't. I mean, y'all could probably research that. What what songs um, come crying to me? And um, what was it? Uh, was like the. There was another song. I guess my point is, is it weird that John Rich made it? Is that weird that he made it as an artist? On, he made it, he's made it like three or since, four times. Since then, yeah. yes. I went through the whole deal with him. It was like he was in Lone Star, then he got kicked out of Lone Star, then he got a record deal at RCA, and I think he lost that record deal because he dunked Joe Galani in a hot tub at the ACM Awards out in Vegas. Which you don't want to do. Would you? Yeah, no, that's the wrong thing <laughs> yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. And then he ended up, they started Music Mafia, and then he ended up with Big and Rich. So he's had like three different record deals. And in between there, he won um, ASCAP Songwriter of the Year just as a songwriter. So that he was a he was a really, you know, musically he was a he was someone good to know and a, and a good like okay here's what I need to do here's what I don't need to do as far as the songwriting part goes. Are you guys still so, cool? Yeah. Yeah, we uh, we uh, we write a couple times a year. We had a cut on McGraw's last record called California that they ended up putting out on their own as Big and Rich. But yeah, we still write some good songs together. So let's uh, focus on Tim McGraw for one second. Here are a couple Tim McGraw songs that you wrote here. Both went number one. Let's do a Southern Girl from Tim McGraw. And here is one of those nights, another uh, Tim McGraw number one. She slides in and you roll down Main Street. You turn right when that red light turns green. When you hear both of those, which one of those can you actually remember hopping into the room? More. Which one? Uh, I remember both of those really well, actually. Okay, well then let's do Southern Girl. Southern Girl was um, the first time I had written with Jaron Johnston. Cadillac 3. And Lee Miller brought a big chunk of that song already written. I mean, I hats off to Lee on that one. And we finished, we we took what he kind of had and finished it all the way out. He already had the roadmap on that one. And then Jared um, took it home to his place and did like his cool little um, he does. He still does Garage Band. He's never done Pro Tools. He hasn't he moved up from that Apple Garage, Garage Band. Band but, yeah. but you would think it's it's Pro Tools because it sounds great. And uh, he added that uh, cool little post-chorus thing, like 
Southern girl, rock my world. He added that on his own after we wrote the song. So I guess what I'm telling you is I didn't have a whole lot to do with that one. (laughs) But no, so when when he sent us the demo, Lee called me and said, hey, what do you think about that post-course thing? Like, do you like that? And I was like, dude, I think that makes it 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 a big, that's what makes it a hit. And he's like, really? Like, Lee wasn't sure about it, but. Because it is a bit progressive. Oh, yeah. And then, like I was going to say, there's the effect that McGraw puts on it, too, here. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I, I think McGraw, what he's often done consistently, but often done really right, is, is do some cool, odd, progressive things inside mm-hmm. of very traditional country-type music. Yeah. And that was, uh, Jaron did a kind of a version of that, and then Tim took it like a whole other step into the kind of weird world with that little part. Who is the artist that, as you write, you feel like, you write the best for for who? Like their sensibilities and what they're going to pick. And not who you have the most cuts with, them, but you go, man, like their life and what they sing about, or they, they as an artist, like I, I get that. Mm-hmm. Who would you say that artist is for you? I would probably say Jason Aldean. Would you and do I, have four I, number ones yeah, with Jason? Yeah, yeah. And why do you think you and Jason kind of relate on a level? I mean, he he just he wants to cut those kind of you know, rock-tinged, redneck, driving down a back road, kind of out in the country, kind of tougher songs. I feel tractor so, songs, too. Like, when yeah. you talk about somebody riding a tractor? Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of my family growing up also worked on farms. Mm-hmm. And, and I think about them, like, driving the, the freaking truck, the big truck. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a dump truck or if it's a tractor... Like, those Aldean songs remind me of that. You got four, and your very first ever number one was with Jason, right? Right. Why? Here's why? here's uh, Jason right. Aldean. Why? Here you go. Sometimes I wonder why does it always have to come down to you leaving before I say I love you. What's the story with this one? And not so much the writing of it, but because it was your first number one. How many? many cuts on the record until they put it out as a single um that was the that was his um i think his second single he ever put out did you feel like when you wrote it he cut it not knowing yet if it was going to be a single that it would be a single i didn't i didn't have any idea and i didn't have any idea jason would be big i mean michael knox kept you know I'd run into him and he's like hey man we're gonna cut three of your songs on jason and i like i knew jason but you just never know and uh um, I wrote that song with John Rich, by the way, and Vicky McGee. But John had um, Hicktown, which was the first single. This was the second single. And this was a song that I was kind of a little bit of a head-scratcher to me that I didn't really ever think it'd be a single because it's about a guy being mean to a girl. And the song is like, like almost like, well, I want to be nice to you, you know. And I, But for some reason, women really like the song. I don't, I don't know. I'll run through your Aldine catalog here of, of number ones. Uh, burning It Down from Aldine. When you guys wrote this, because I remember uh, we played this song on my show for the first time. And again, we talk about progressive type music, and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of different kind of bass, a lot of effects that, that maybe Jason had to use. Um, when you guys wrote it, did you picture it as that kind of song? Or did you write it straight ahead? We we wrote it more straight ahead. It had that underneath it, which I think those are the actual, um, 
the low end, like the bass and the part of that groove is was tracks that they took from when we wrote that. But um, we had it more like rock and roll version of it with harmonies on it and stuff. And for whatever reason, they decided to take it the other way. The, the direct, I thought they would take it even more the direction that we did it, but they took it the other way, which surprised me. And I was... I was actually a little bit scared. I didn't. I didn't know how people would react to that, to uh, to the way that they did it. But it was it was uh, kind of ahead of the curve there a little bit. So yeah, I, and I think actually opened up a lot of doors for those kind of rock and country guys to experiment a bit with again some of that deep bass, some of mm. that super percussion type yeah. stuff. Uh, a couple more Aldine tracks. Number one for you. Take a little ride. And we'll go back to uh, Crazy Town. Here you go. It's a crazy town this is early-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And still, this is, as far as Jason goes, really one of those songs that when I think of Jason Aldean, like this is one of those songs that, that to me kind of identifies him in my mind. Mm-hmm. So who'd you write Crazy Town with? Do you remember? Um, a guy named Brett Jones. Um, he's been in town for a while. He said, um, I think he had a big McGraw cut. I mean, a big, big McGraw number one back in the day. Um, but yeah, he called me up and and we got together and he had that idea and we wrote it and demoed it and I mean it's like those two songs like Take a Real Little Ride in Crazy Town that's just kind of like my wheelhouse um, or it was for a long time anyway um, and Jason that seems like it's kind of his wheel in his wheelhouse too so does he um, ever hit you up and go hey I need a song we done it right so many times what you got <laughs> um. I mean, he. I, I do have an open invitation to send him anything at any time. I have his number, but uh, like I don't have anything on the new record. So um, I've been uh, recently. I don't know. I've just kind of maybe at some point I felt like I've written all those songs already. Um, man, I've I've been having a having a blast trying to write stuff for um, Morgan Wallen and. Have a couple on the new Dustin Lynch record that's fixing to come out. There's a new guy over at Big Loud that's uh, coming out uh, named Ernest, and uh, man, he's a he's a really great songwriter and fun guy to write with. So there's some young guys that I've really been clicking with, and you know, just trying to do something different. You know, what's interesting to me, and again, we'll get back to your catalog. We're not we're gonna be able to touch it all. This is not the uh, the documentary like. Oh boy, did 18 hours. It could be. <laughs> this could be that. We could do like an 18-hour podcast documentary <laughs> on your tracks. So uh, don't be offended if we don't touch them all here. Um, okay, so this is, this is nuts because I, I went a little deeper on you. And so you wrote a Nickelback song. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is crazy. So, <laughs> and you have another one in another country with a Nickelback song, which Lullaby from Nickelback. Mike, play me because I didn't know this song. I hope you're not offended, Rodney. All right, here we go. It went number one in Poland. <laughs> now, do you go to the number one party in Poland? Is I, there one? I, you know, that's that's the first time. No, I, I had no idea it went number one. We're breaking Poland. news here. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you can add another number one to I your can, list. Yeah. I will. I guess I'm it, up to It went number one, one in Poland. In wow. the U.S., it went number 15 know. on the rock chart. But in Poland, you have a number one. You didn't. Have you ever seen the documentary uh, Searching for Silverman? Oh, yeah. That's what you are in Poland. Okay. You don't even know that. If you go back, you're this huge rock god. How wild would that be, Mike? If he goes back, he doesn't even know it. That, that's how many number ones he has. He didn't even know he's huge in another country. Yeah. 
deep. That was that was a fun one to write though, because we'd never we had that we got the opportunity to write with Chad Kroger because he was coming to town wanting to write country stuff, and we just stumbled on that idea, and he uh, he's like wait, this could be a Nickelback song. So then we went totally into, like, Nickelback world. Like, every line had to have the exact same syllables and the exact same inner rhyme in the same spot, you know, that world. Um, but it was kind of the beginning of the end of Nickelback, too. So it was Except pretty, in Poland, which, by the way, they were yeah. just blowing up. <laughs> <laughs> so Nickelback is just ending. But tell me about that, that Chad Kroger. Like, he wanted to come and write country or oh, be yeah. a country artist? No, no, no. He just he he had uh, actually had another song that had been a single, I can't remember, that did pretty well on, on somebody. On the soundtrack? Was it the... Um, it, no, he got a cut, a cut. Oh, he wrote a song for somebody else. I think he wrote a song <clears throat> with, <clears throat> excuse me, with Brett James that somebody cut and I think it went top 10. So he was like, would come to town and when he, you know, when Nickelback was in between records and, and went a ride. And we, um, we got to know Joey Moy. The producer. Through Chad. Yeah. And I ended up calling jo Joey cause I knew Joey was wanting to maybe start doing some country stuff. Um, I talked Joey into cutting a song on with uh, that Jake Owen had of mine and Joey and I went in and cut that song on Jake and we ended up getting to finish the whole record together and that was Joey's first country production in the US and then the next thing he did was FGL. Florida Georgia Line. Yeah. yeah. So that's so that the whole Chad thing turned into the FGL Joey Moy thing. <laughs> that's kinda of wild how that all shakes out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what song did you write where someone goes, I don't think that's it, and then it ended up kind of digging its way through and ended up being a big hit? Maybe don't call anybody out here. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not searching for that. But someone goes, you know, they're, they're like, Ronnie, I don't think this is this has got, got much, got legs to it, but you believed in it and ended up doing something. Or none of them. They're just all so good. Yeah, Immediately when they hear them, like, my ears are just. I don't know. I can't, I, I mean, it, it, usually it's more the other way. I'm going like, this is a hit, this is a hit, yeah. and it's not. You know, so. Which of your songs <laughs> were you most surprised that it was a smash? Because um, I can rattle some of these off, man. I, I would say, um, I would say Justin Moore, Letting the Night Roll. That surprised me. Because? I don't know, I just didn't, that he he hadn't up to that point cut anything kind of that was a little more progressive for him and we wrote it together but i just didn't think it would you know i thought it would be kind of at the back of the pack you know for singles for him so that one surprised me so you know sometimes i'll have buddies who will go you know what i wrote this song four years ago i hadn't heard about it in forever and then all of a sudden i get a call like hey we're gonna cut this song <laughs> you ever have any of those that kind of get stashed away for a bit or just kind of float around and someone goes, you know, I was going through, through some songs and found this one. I've had, uh, um, I actually just had that happen with two different artists. Um, and knock on wood, I don't know if either one of them will end up making the record. But Kenny uh, Chesney has a song for his new record that he cut in 2015, and it didn't make the record. And about a year ago, he called up me and David Lee Murphy, and he said, hey, man, I still love this song, but... The first verse isn't right. Can y'all rewrite the first verse? So we went in and rewrote the first verse. And then I think Kenny and, and David Lee Murphy out on the road rewrote it again. And um, Kenny just played it for me out in L.A. And he's 
he's excited about it. So I think it has a decent shot at making the record. But that song pretty wild. was originally cut four years ago and then uh, had the same thing happen with Keith Urban. So, And both tracks aren't out yet. Keith, I wrote a song with Ashley Gourley and Keith, and Keith cut it four or five years ago. And then about a year ago, he told me he had recut it. And then about six months ago, he told me, he said, man, the mix turned out really good, but who knows if it'll end up making the record. But it's funny that song just like popped back up four years later. You bring up Kenny Chesney. Have you been riding with Kenny? Um, just a little bit. I've only ridden with him a couple of other times um, and then just got to go out to California and ride with him. Um, just, I mean, basically just trying to write up tempos for his new record. So, so what is that like? Does he, he go, everybody, we're going to fly you out? Or do you have, does he book you a ticket, or does he get you put you on a no, plane? No, we, we bought our own tickets. He oh, got you... us a house, but it was on Malibu Beach, so it was badass. So he got you guys a house. Right. And how many of you move into the house? Um, there were six riders. Okay. And so you go in, and then is he a part of that? Yeah. Or do you guys just kind of run and do your thing, and he, he checks in? We, we would split up, and half of us would go ride with Kenny, and half of us would stay at the house and try to ride. A Kenny Chesney up tempo, and we did that for three days. And how the, how does that turn out? It, it turned out great. Yeah. So when I mean, when you know, like here's we're, you know, Kenny Kenny's up tempo. You know, there's kind of a, you know, where the lines are on that, and what to keep it between for the most part. And all three of my um, Kenny singles have been up tempo, so I guess that's why I got the call. Um, but he, uh, I mean, you know, kind of what the what he wants so you sit down and there's no reason to do anything else so it kind of for it's a kind of good because everybody's looking for an up-tempo all the time so it forces you to have to ride one here is american kids this is one of the one of your big ones with kenny well this is a monster like a, just a mon when i think of my time in nashville which has been about six plus years this is one of the monsters that kind of just well, crept up. I remember seeing the album art. It was like a bus on the sand or something, or and with blue sky behind it. I'm just going from memory here, and I was like, okay, well, let's see what Kenny's got. And this one just smashed. Yeah, it was a it was a fun one. This this is one of those kind of unicorn songs that you don't you don't see it coming, and you've never written a song like that. And no matter how hard you try afterwards, you can't you know it's you can't write another one. What does so. it feel like when you finish though? When you finish a song that ends up being amazing. Do you feel amazing when you're done with the ride, or is yeah. it just like, oh, you did? You actually that was felt with, that was, a good that one. was with uh, Shane McAnally and Luke Laird. And when we finished that song, we were like, holy crap! Who do we? We need to be very strategic about who we send it to first, because somebody that gets it that you may not think would have as much success with it because of who they are mm -hmm. could actually hurt the song. Right. That's interesting because you do, you don't want to have a free for all. Because some artist that maybe doesn't have a prominent place at a label where they're really going to put the money behind promoting them yeah. could get the song. Well, yeah, yeah, that and, um, you know, an, another artist that it just might not be the right song for will think that's a big old hit song and they'll try to do it, but it might not, you know, it might not be their, in the, you know, in their strength category doing a song like that. But it was kind of a, it was kind of one of those, you know, a little bit, down a different path for Kenny. He had never cut anything with that kind of a feel before, and yet it sounded like it sounded like he'd always done it's, a song like that. Yeah, it still so. sounded. 
when I remember hearing that song, you're going, well, this is a bit different, but it's very Kenny at the same time. Oh, yeah. It didn't feel like he was trying to tackle some new musical ground. Yeah. And again, I think a lot of that, too, was the packaging of the song. Like, it, just all the way around the video, the art, yeah. you know, how Kenny was talking about the song. Yeah, and, and we got to all go in and sing on it, too. We did all, I mean, us and our wives and other people went in and, you know, one, one day and did a bunch of the background vocals on it. So it was cool to get to have a part of it like that, too. And um, I would say probably, I know uh, his Get Along song that he just sat out last year, which is, I love that song. I think it's a great song. It's To me, it was kind of like a American Kid Cousin, which Shane wrote it. But um, that's, that's the probably, same kind of. Yeah, yeah. it's probably the, the, you know, four or five years later, it was, it's another, it's like, a, you know, a distant cousin to American kids. But when I heard it, I was like, oh, yeah, Shane, Shane was able to <laughs> kind of catch that groove again. So. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com Tell me if this is true. You wrote <clears throat> Sunshine and Summertime specifically for Kenny, but it ended up being a top five for Faith. Right. So how do you write a song specifically for someone? Like, how did that come into you to write that song? Um, well, we, we had that idea, just in the idea and the feel of it. And once again, that was with John Rich. And uh, it just sounded like when we got through, I mean, when we, when we, uh, we knew Kenny was cut and we, could, we had people who could just, you know, hand the song to him or Buddy and, we um, had that idea, and we tried to write it for Kenny. And so when and he says it's not for me, or maybe it doesn't get back to you that it's not for him, not sure. No, I mean, we got somebody, you know, he passed on it. Okay, so then do you go, well, let's just see who likes it, or do you then target Faith? Well, 
Because it seems quite the transition to go from Kenny to big Faith. And, big and Rich was opening, was on the road. Um, they were opening for a Tim and Faith tour. And I think John handed it to Faith. <laughs> so kind of had the inside Man. track on that one. Yeah, look, that, that's a good one. So, Which on that record, John had Mississippi Girl, which is the first single, and then he had this single also. I, I just, you know, I have so many of your songs up here. Do you have to sometimes study what songs went number one until you can remember? Because <laughs> I, I, and I, you know, you're being humble. I'll, I'll give you, I'll relate just a bit. I've written a couple books, and sometimes I forget the stories I wrote in my books, and people will bring them up and be like, hey, and I know the stories because they're from my life, but I have mm. to like see what I wrote again. <laughs> I wonder. To that, remember the way you tell them. <laughs> yeah. This is like times 10 with all these songs. Do you ever just mm. look at it before you hop in and be like, oh, yeah, that's right. I wrote Blake Shelton. Sure be cool if you did. Do you have to freshen up? Um, I mean, I'm, I, I have a pretty good memory of which ones went number one and yeah. which ones didn't. Do you, you have a, a room in your house with all your plaques? Or in your seven well, houses? Yeah, I mean, I do, but they're rapidly becoming more of my wife's plaques than mine. So, <laughs> Which is also an interesting wrinkle into this. <laughs> so, Nicole Gallion, your wife, Nicole Clausen, whichever, how, right. you know. Um, Gallion, since we're yeah, talking since we're about music. Yeah, so. yeah of course. <laughs> Um, you guys don't ride together that often. We we ride maybe once or twice a year. That's not that often. No, no. When you go home, I'm sure you have to talk about music a bit. Like, hey, how'd the day go? Mm -hmm. um, you know, what songwriters you guys like riding with? What songwriters yeah. you don't? Um, it, how? What's that competitive feeling there? We talk we talk about music all the time, but we've kind of strategically over the years, um, just because it's so. When we first got when we first got married, I'd had quite a bit of success, and she hadn't ever even had a cut. She had a she had uh, she got a publishing deal right after we got married. So we strategically she kept her name, and we strategically tried to write with other people because um, if we if we wrote a song together, and I've seen it happen with other couples, if we wrote a song together, people would just presume that. It was me, even though she's she's awesome and she I mean she's doing way better than me right now in the last couple of years. Um, so just as far as career building and branding and all that goes, um, we tried to we tried to help her, I tried to help her build her career to where if she had success she would get the credit for it. <clears throat> and we've been lucky enough it's it's worked out that way. So, so. what is her favorite song that you have written? And then I'm gonna switch it up after this and ask you the same thing about her. But what is her um, favorite song that you have written? Mm. Where she's like, "Man, that's the one I love. Like, that's why I fell in love with you because you wrote Crash My Party' <laughs> from Luke Bryan. I was at a bar and it played. I would say I would guess. I would guess either I saw God today or American Kids. Okay, if, if you ask her that. So George Strait, I saw God today, number one. Boy, what a big one. What I mean, how about getting George Strait to sing words that you <coughs> thought in your mind? That's a Yeah. I mean, that's a well, thing. Well, and I grew up in Texas and I'd never that's the only George Strait cut I ever got because I I like I said, I I wrote stuff that I felt like my wheelhouse was like Jason Aldean and so you know, I never thought I would get a George Strait cut. So, that was uh that was pretty amazing. That when, song, by the way, CMA single of the year and was nominated for Best Country Song at the 2009 Grammy Awards. And although all that happened, I would argue, and again, I don't really come from a good place to argue this, but just having George Strait cut a song would be as equal to actually getting a CMA single of the year. 
nomination, like what, yeah. or or an award. Would you rather? Let me bring this down. Would you rather have random artist? You he sings a song that you have written and it wins for CMA Single of the Year, or get a George Strait number one without that that award. You win the award. With I would I would say George Strait, George Strait number one. I'm glad you said that. I like you better because you did. Just <laughs> just letting you know. Uh, here I need you to convince me on something because. I haven't started it yet, but Succession is what my co-host is watching, what I hear a lot of friends talk about. Mm -hmm. You're watching the show? I love the show. Okay. It's my, one of my favorite shows. Tell me why I will, would like Succession. Like, what, what is the deal? Like, what's the hook of this show that's going to make me go, all right, that's my show? Um, I think it's got, I think it really has great acting. It's got great, um, the script storyline has been really great. What's it even about? Um, it's about... Um, billionaire multimedia family so like yours so that's what it is you see a lot of oh, your family yeah. and get it <laughs> thousand air um anyway the the dad he had there's four kids they're all you can tell they've all been brought up kind of spoiled trust fund kids and they think dad's about about to pull the ripcord and they're all angling to try to position to see if they can get the company but they're all every every character is like flawed there's not one redeeming character in the whole thing and you like the show i, I love the show you like it enough to recommend it to me like all right I, here I publicly highly, i highly recommend it and what network is i that? quit i quit watching billions when succession came on because i was just like which the first couple of seasons of billions was really good but like by season three, it was just kind of like you could tell like they'd only thought the storyline out through a couple of seasons. Yeah. And like when when I watched the first couple of episodes of Succession, it was just like Billions was such a letdown at that point. I was like, quit watching. So I'm gonna as I forgot to ask the other side of this question. What's your favorite song that Nicole's written? Did end up being a big one? Um, I would say Automatic. Early. Mm -hmm. Yeah, early for her. Why why that why that song? I don't. I remember the night she she brought that song home and she played me that when she played me the demo of it and I I kind of got teary eyed and I was like, you did it, you did it. That's a smash. That's a number one song. And we didn't even know, you know, if it would make Miranda's record at that point. But it was. I mean, that's a no brainer when you hear it. It just sounds like a big old hit song. Your son, and I know this because. Not to brag on both of us, but we're both in the Country Music Hall of Fame right now as an exhibit. <laughs> um, I have my exhibit, and you have an exhibit. It's you, your son Brad, and Nicole, and you're all in this together. We were all at the big award, you know, the yeah. big opening ceremony. Yeah. Um, so your son has a number one as well, up, down, Morgan Wallen. Yeah. What kind of advice do you give him? First of all, not day to day, but were you ever like, I don't know about this song, right? Because I would never want somebody that I know to get involved in what I do. I try. I I did everything I could. Uh steer him in other directions but with the success that i was having it was hard for me to say no you can't this is impossible you can't do this because you know i was i was doing it so um when he told me he wanted to be a songwriter he was uh he was working at the north face store at the mall and valet and cars at the omni hotel downtown how old was he he was probably, he'd just gotten out of college. He's probably 24. And um, he said, I think I want to be a songwriter, Dad. And so uh, I had a Pro Tools rig in my office that I had kind of started using and 
quickly figured out, like, I should probably just stick to writing songs and not waste five years of my life trying to figure this out. Um, I said, hey, there's a Pro Tools rig up in my office. Come by and get it. And and I basically told him, like, if you want to write songs, start writing songs. And uh, we kind of played played his deal the same way that we did with Nicole. I didn't, you know, I told him, I said, I could walk, I, you could write 20 songs. I could walk you into a publisher and get you a deal just because of my track record. But that doesn't help you any at all. Like, we could write every day and you could get some cuts, but that wouldn't doesn't help your career, like, as far as the longevity um, and your brand. That doesn't help you. So he kind of, you know, he went out there and he found his buddies who write songs and he built his friend group. And he's in, the, he's in this whole young wave of guys, you know. He wrote that song with Michael Hardy. He's uh, got another buddy named Grayling James that they've just been killing it they've got two or three cuts on the new chris jansen record that's fixing to come out i think they have a title cut um the one with him so, and blake chris and blake the real friends yeah real yeah. friends yeah wow that's, is that genetic so, or did he see you do like well, how does that even happen <laughs> i i don't know i mean our personalities are a lot alike we're kind of laid back and kind of you know we can hang out in the room with people so walk me through what's the key to writing a great opening line like, is there something where you're going, all right, we got to start this song strong. Like, what is, what's the key to writing a great opening? Because this is the, the Country Songwriters Podcast. They're all listening. I get so many <laughs> messages from people, one, trying to get on this, and the two going, I love when you have people on that actually talk about the, the, the weeds of songwriting. So an opening line of a song, how important is it? It's, it's very important, and it's hard to, it's hard to do. Um, you always try to kind of... You know, it just depends on the song. Sometimes you go for a little bit of shock value. Sometimes you go for the um, trying to set up the hook here early in the song. People won't real tell you until you get down to the chorus. They won't realize what that first line of the song was about. But, like fast. Let's go back to fast. All right, Luke Bryan, fast. You know that song kind of goes. All over the place, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a lot of. But different... it starts out with the title of the song. Go ahead. the The first line of the song is fast. That's the kind of car you want. You, that's the kind of car you want when you're 18. Fast. That's the kind of boys that you want on the home team. It, that That's the only song I've ever written that has the title all through the the verse. Let's hear this. Let me make sure you're telling the truth. Ah, oh, there you go. You got me. He's telling the truth, Mike. That's the kind of car you want. All right, let me switch it up then. I'm just going to pick one at random up here on the list of 10 million songs. How about um, Blake Shelton, Drink On It? Do you remember the first line of that song? Um, I just thought of the first line. Of course, sure be cool if you did. All right, this is sure be cool if you did. I don't, I don't remember the first line of Drink On It. What's the first line of sure be cool if you did? I was going to keep it real, like chill, like only have a drink or two. Okay, so talk about that in a room. How, how does that, what does that start? Do you guys start with the title, the idea, and then kind of work back? Mm-hmm. Explain that to me. Well, we had the, uh, we had the idea which came from uh, Dazed and Confused, the movie Matthew McConaughey, where... You're telling the truth. I don't doubt you anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. You got me. <laughs> there, was a, there was a part in the movie where Matthew McConaughey's like, driving a car he looks in the back seat asks this kid if he's got any any weed and 
the kid said, oh, man, no, I don't have any. And Matthew McConaughey's, man, it'd be a whole lot cooler if you did. And that's where we got the idea for the song. And I had actually written that idea down a couple of different times over the years. And uh, it just seemed to be that day. Chris, I told that, I threw that idea out to the room, and Chris Tompkins like, Man, what if we write it like? And he kind of figured out the angle on it, and then and then so we had the angle for the chorus, and then we went back and the so the first verse is about a guy, basically like, man, I was just planning on coming out and having one drink tonight, but just kind of sets up the hook. Who did you see early on that started out as a writer, or was writing before they get their artist deal that ended up being? Big deal, big star. An artist or song? Yeah, a, a, an artist. An artist? Because most before... will start with a publishing deal and come to town and write songs and learn how to write, write for themselves. And you get in a room and they're early, but then they ended up being a big star later that w when you met them, they really weren't. Um, I would say, I mean, Luke Bryan. I wrote with him right, um, right about the time his, his uh, no, his first single hadn't come out, but he had had... As a writer, he had had good directions on Billy Currington. And we wrote a couple of things. Um, I think one of those songs made his second record, maybe. Um, but he was, you know, he was just writing and he had a record deal and he, you know, had a single fixing to come out. But, you you know, you had no idea whether he was going to be big or not. So, But we've written off and on over the, over the last 15 years. So. When he... When you're riding with him, are you like that guy's pretty sharp? You feel like that? He is. I mean, most of the most of these guys are, you know, they're like. I don't know if you would say they're in the, they're as a whole they're genius personalities, but they have parts of their personality that they're like borderline genius in, and that's why they're so good at what they do. I mean, I mean, the crazy thing for me is like riding with Luke that first time. I would have never thought I would ever see him on TV on American Idol. It'd be like he's just he just keeps surprising everybody with what he can do. He walks into a room and it's like, oh, that guy's a star. Mm -hmm. You can tell you just even in the room because I work on Idol with him, and even in the room where there's a lot of stars, Luke is the dominant force in the room because <laughs> he just comes in. And I'll say this about Luke too: he, Luke and I are basically the only two that are on time every time. You know, everybody gets there at their own pace. First of all, Hollywood's way different than Nashville. Like, when it's 1.30 and the call time is 1.30, first of all, I'm going to be there because I'm by far the least star yeah. of that whole thing. But Luke is there too. And he's like, all right, <laughs> let's go to work. It's like, as much as, you know, Luke is now a big star and, and playing, you know, stadiums, the dude shows up at 1.30. Oh, yeah. And he showed up back, back then too when he didn't have much going on. He showed up on time, you know. Was, were you ever wanted to be an artist? Is that ever a thing for you? That's no, a dream? I, when I, I mean, I was a little bit, I mean, like I said, when I first started coming to Nashville, I was in my 30s already, and I, I never, you know, my, the people that I've known that wanted to do it, it's almost like you got to be willing to sell your soul to the devil to do it, you know, and I was never that. I was like, oh, you know, every once in a while I'd be kind of, oh, maybe I should want, try to be an artist. But, like, that's definitely not – you have to have way more fire behind it than that. So I uh, I love songwriting. I love staying in town. I love to hunt and fish. I tell people I'd rather spend 150 days a year on my boat, not on a bus. So. 
which I rarely get to spend time on my boat anymore. But. I bet you got like 10 boats. Have one in every town. I have one yeah. boat. I have this imaginary <laughs> land of you just dominating all. Um, how about, you ever written a song and realized that you actually, and, and I'll preface it by saying this before it seems any sort of accusation. I sometimes will write jokes and go, oh, can't do that joke because I think I was inspired by another joke. I didn't even realize it when I wrote this joke. And I go, I can't go out on stage and do it because I didn't do it on purpose. But I think if I'm looking back, I probably heard Chris Rock or someone do a joke that inspired this joke and I go, got to pull it. Not sure, mm -hmm. but got to pull it. That ever happened with a song? Yeah. Where you go, oh, didn't do it on purpose, but I think I might yeah. have been influenced. Yeah. And what do you do in that case? You just you have to be diligent. You know, if you think like, oh, crap. I'm on something I've already written or somebody else that somebody else might have said something, I'm, you know, that they might think I got this idea from them. He's, I mean, get on. That's the, the thing, too. That's not even stealing a song. That's just somebody else talking, huh? Mm -hmm. Get on the phone, talk to them, figure it out. Um, I had one song one time that uh, we finished. We went in. We demoed the song. I brought it home. I'd already, I'd already sent it to... I think I sent it to Dirks Bentley, and he liked it. He's like, oh, dude, I love that. I want to hold it. And I got home, and I played it for Nicole. I said, hey, listen to this song. I sent it to Dirks, and he loves it. And she said, that's a Darius Rucker song. And I went back, and it was, it was I can't remember what single it was, but it was literally the chorus was like note for note, a Darius Rucker song. And I had to call Dirks and say, hey, that we're all over the top of a Darius song. I didn't realize it. Let me try to. Let me try to tweak the melody out to change it so it's not on top of a Darius song, and then it, and then that that was the end of it, you know, because it, then it's not the same anymore. It just kind of ruins it. So why do you think that happens? Do you think that it's our subconscious storing something and we just kind of fall on it, or did you accidentally fall on it? Do you think? Oh, I, I, yeah, I'd probably heard the song and it just came back out. I mean, I saw. I mean, I definitely didn't didn't say like hey let's write a song like this Darius song I just didn't I'm maybe maybe I heard it on the radio on the way into town and it was in there and it came back out I don't I don't know but you got to be diligent about it and when you when you think you, you got to communicate with people about it too if you think you're on top of somebody or you got to get on the phone and talk to them and they might still be pissed but they're not going to be near as pissed as they would be if they found out and you didn't tell them so well, then I should let you know that um, I wrote a song yesterday called I Met a Bartender. It's a little, it sounds a little similar to yours, but I'm glad we're having this talk right now because that was the number one of yours, Bartender. Um, it's not, not exactly the same, but it's... it's met a Bartender. Yeah, I met a Bartender. one word difference. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just... It, it's, again, some people would confuse it if they heard it, but just for me to you, it just happened to fall out. But listen, you have all these... I, I, Luke Bryan, drunk on you. Luke Bryan, fast. Luke Bryan, crash my party. Florida Georgia Line dirt. Florida Georgia Line, get your shine on. Shine on. Florida Georgia Line around here. Lady A bartender. Big and rich, lost in this moment. By the way, their first number one. How about that coming back? You write John Rich's first number one in Big and Rich after you were his basketball coach. That was pretty cool. Yeah. And they had had that song for a while. We wrote that song with Keith Anderson, who also had a record deal and was having hits at that same time. And neither one of them cut it for their first record. And then when it rolled around time for record two, they both cut it, and then they were kind of in a race to see who could get it out first. So it's funny. That's a song that sat around for three years, and nobody wanted it, and then all of a sudden two different people were kind of fighting over it. So 
We're going to end with this. I'm going to give you three random questions we have here. All you got to do is answer these two the best that you can, and we'll move on with life. What is the last movie you saw in theaters? Uh, Tarantino movie. The uh, Once Upon a Time? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mike, you saw that, huh? Yeah, it's a good movie. Did it's you really, like it? Really good. I'm going to go watch The Joker tonight. Have you, oh, wow. Have you seen Joker yet? No. I guess you, that would be the answer if you had. <laughs> a stupid question by me. It looks good, though. Yeah, I know. I, um, okay, what is, let's do this. What's one thing under 100, uh, under 100 bucks everyone should own? One thing under 100 bucks that everyone should own. Oh, man, that's a tough one. You know what my you new one is? The Squatty Potty. That's under 100 bucks. Yeah, yeah, I have one downstairs. And this is not an endorsement. I was just thinking about, you know, in my head, like what, what would I recommend right now? Not the most glamorous thing to recommend, by the way. You don't want to talk mm. about taking a dump, right? That's not <laughs> something that really is like, but yeah. I would now throw the squatty potty out there as if I'm jumping in this, the thing under a hundred bucks that I think everybody under should own. Under a hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah. What do you got? I got some short, I have some workout shorts. I think they're called uh, 10,000. I think they're like 70 bucks. Okay. I'll Best take... workout shorts I've ever had. Uh, they have fine. a liner in them already and all that. So. Those are swimming trunks, Rodney. I'm sorry to tell you. <laughs> they feel like panties. One, listen to this one time, Rodney. You talk about the shorts, the liner. I was, uh, I, got, I have a pool back here. And I was in the pool, and I was swimming around, and I was like, what is that feeling? And so I reach, <laughs> I'm so stupid. I'm embarrassed telling the story. I reach in, and I forget I have swimming trunks on. And that liner, you know, it feels like, you know, soft. Mm. And, I, and I felt it, and I was like, oh, my God, did I put on some girl's panties? And I didn't realize <laughs> it. And I, for a minute, I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm wearing something. But it was the liner. It's a really trivial story, but that's a, <laughs> that was a real-life thing that happened to me. I thought I had some girl panties on. Yeah. They got mixed up. The liners laundry. can feel weird sometimes. Yeah, but sometimes they can feel like the the compression shorts that you put on when you work out too. There was no compression here. This was just <laughs> panty. This is straight panty. One final thing. Uh, let's go. The last concert you had to buy tickets for. Last concert I had to buy tickets for would have been um, when the Eagles came to town with Vince. Uh, yeah, was that the year before last? About yeah. a year and a half ago. I went as well, Bridgestone. Yeah, and you bought tickets. Yes, because. Because I don't know anybody. You don't know anybody, don't know yeah. anybody in the Eagles. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, <laughs> we've, 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 we've done it. We've talked about it. Rodney Llama on Instagram. Right. How active are you over there? Um, I try to post at least once a week. So, which is pretty good for someone my age, I'd say. <laughs> I, which is about a, like one tenth of what my wife posts. I don't know if one tenth is fair. <laughs> like one one hundred. She's the, she's the greatest uh, on Instagram. Rodney, why, why Llama? That's back to John Rich. He used to call me the Rodney Lama. Because I was like, did you I'm, spit on him? Kind of calm. No. Dalai Lama, Rodney Lama. Oh, kinda, now I get it. Um, I don't even know if that's the right religion or not. But uh, yeah, um, I think they all do ohms. Yeah, a little so bit. Ro Rodney Lama is just memorable. Yeah. All right. Well, it's there we stuck. have it. That you have more songs than we could fit on the wall. So that should be your biggest honor. We're going to send you the championship belt. Okay. That we talk. Check the mail. Like. <laughs> so when we're recording this, it's on the 11th, but start checking your mail about like the 20th. Every day, okay. go out to the mailbox, <laughs> check your mail and see if that championship belt's okay. there. Okay. Because we send it to the top three. I'll people. post it on my Instagram. When, when you get it, post it and then we'll both be good. <laughs> All right. That's it. Uh, episode two. We really appreciate it. Listen, we recorded this on a Friday and you know, I know that 
Uh, you're a busy person, and this was—I was literally in town for like a day and a half. So I'm so glad that you you agreed to come over and do this. I'm big. I'm busy, but I'm not near as busy as you. Not so accurate. Thank you for However, I'm I'm very appreciative of you coming over on a Friday and doing this with me. Something we've been looking forward to for a while, and I know you and I have met in passing many times, but now we have many things to talk about right. next time we see each other. When I watch Succession and go, "Dude, you were right," or why did you make me buy all those episodes? What network is that on? <laughs> HBO. Oh, so I already HBO. have it. Yeah. I already have it. Okay, all right. Yeah. All right, there he is, uh, Rodney Clawson, at Rodney Llama on Instagram. We'll see you guys next time. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that. And even, checkout's not until four, so. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. If tonight's movie night is just what you need, make it special with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.